Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Black Business Network. Entrepreneurs rock and you know it. Our shout out today is to Mr. Frank Coleman. Frank is associated with Legal Shield and has been for quite some time. And he wanted to know if you've ever needed an attorney and could not afford it. The small monthly payment to Legal Shield is well worth it to be able to pick up the phone and get your questions answered. Visit www.frankcoleman.com. That's frankcoleman.com. School choice. Choice allows parents to select the best educational fit for their children. Almentia Academy is a year-round premier pre-K through 12 online school with a fully accredited STEM curriculum. Almentia Academy has more than 250 courses, including programs for homeschooling, college readiness, and online tutoring. Want the convenience and flexibility of educating your children at home? Then visit us today at almentiaacademy.com, where the learning never stops. Chicago's Black Business Radio Network. All black, all news, all you. We're changing the way Chicago communicates with the world. CBBN Business Journals, weekdays at 11 a.m. CST. The Tough Questions, weekdays at noon. To listen now, Visit Chicago's Black Business Radio Network.com. Sonia Cassandra Perdue, Executive Producer. Chicago's Black Business Radio Network, all black, all news, all you. It must be the building that you're in. It dropped you again. But you can go ahead. Yeah. I'll fix the first part. Okay. Should, should I just start talking now? Yeah. Oh, okay. Good morning, listeners. In this segment of our our Conversations Manor, I am Dr. Benita Francois of the Cortamoxie Show. So today, I just decided, rather than to have another guest on, I wanted to do a little bit of reflection. I tend to call it uh, having conversation with self, but my daughter said I shouldn't say that. <laughs> but uh, that's just the way that, that um, I tend to put it. I just want to make it plain to whomever I'm talking to. And, uh, and I think you guys are out there doing a little bit of ear hustling. But... Um, I tend to every now and then take some time to myself just to think about the things that matter to me, and I think that they belong in some of our conversations that we should all be having. So in my conversation with self, first thing I want to talk about is this 
field called um, diversity, this new, well, it's a new, uh, a new term called diversity and inclusion. And what that means, and as a community psychologist, I tend to keep a bird's eye view of a little bit of everything. And in some areas, I tend to zone in a little bit more with an eagle eye. And so, and that's when I'm really looking for clarity. And this issue of diversity and inclusion is one that seems to keep coming up. And uh, and I'm looking for what it really means. And what I'm showing is it's all the same thing. What I keep uh, coming up with is it's all the same thing, same or same soup warmed over. So and these are just uh, again just some of my uh, I guess you can call them my empirical studies. Some I have you know actually read some studies on. And in other cases, they're just merely observations. That's just left me with a lot of questions. And this whole issue of diversity and inclusion is one of those things that, because you see it everywhere, you see the words everywhere, it uh, stays in my mind. So I'm always thinking about how does that play out when the culture doesn't change? Because who defines diversity and inclusion depends on the culture. And I happened to run across a book, actually, called The Chief Culture Officer, uh, How to Create a Living, a Living, Breathing Corporation Through a Chief Culture Officer. And I just thought that was so impactful because it was, you know, in, in line with my thinking on this issue of diversity and inclusion. And who are the keepers of the culture? And the keepers of the culture isn't always a, a positive, doesn't necessarily always mean there's a positive impact on a culture uh, or all the cultures that surround it. But nonetheless, it does exist, and we need to call it what it is. So um, I kind of want to talk about... Um, not how just just how this is qualified, but how do we quantify it? Um, well, we subscribe to the terms, and we find that you know there's been different ways of quantifying what is uh, diversity and, and inclusion, but how are we qualifying it? And I think that's where we have to look at the culture and, and who is the chief. Uh, when we're talking about chief diversity officers, chief diversity officers and inclusions, you, you have to ask yourself, but who is the chief keeper of the culture? And in almost every institution, major institution, that I believe needs to be addressed if there is any uh, sincere effort at making sure that there is true diversity and inclusion. And I, let me just start first with uh, talking about magnet schools. And I, this is just one one example. Looking at some of the, the uh, disparities that exist in the school system and then looking at, uh, I, as I believe, the magnet schools were founded and supposedly designed to help uh, 
eradicate some of some of the issues around uh, segregation in the school system. And we've all witnessed the shuffle in numbers, you know, and which students went to goes where and and how they get there. And but we haven't really looked at the culture um, as having such a such a powerful impact. And I'm talking about the culture at the at the C-suite level. Uh, we look at you know how things uh, play out at at the ground level, but how did we get there? And I'm going to go back to just the 1990s. Uh, that was when I had uh, really been introduced to uh, the magnet school system and how it works. I'll go back to Whitney Young, just talking about Whitney Young. This is long before the Hayden School in the North Side Preps, and this is in Chicago, even though I know this um, this broadcast is heard any and everywhere, but I'm just talking about Chicago. And, and if you know anything about Whitney Young High School, they're always, you know, in the tops of public schools. But uh, can we honestly say there's been a change in the system? Back when, uh, you know, in the, I'll just go back to the 90s, Whitney Young was, was uh, there wasn't a, a community back then. So one would have to wonder, how did they come up with the population of students that always seem to end up in the better school? And a school where there there was no community, at that time Whitney Young was still pretty much considered skid row, for lack of better words. Um, but it was just interesting how some of the most of many, I'm not going to say most because I don't know most, but if you just look at it, um, many of the who's who children ended up at Whitney Young. It wasn't necessarily the, the brightest as one would have you to believe, but they ended up at a school that was uh, that was very well funded, resourced um, to the point where any child who came out of there, no matter where they came from, seem to have done well later in life. So that speaks to how we go about funding school schools. And this is again, this was before the Caden School and the North Side Prep, but what was used uh, in order to I mean what was it's not testing, no matter how much they want to make you believe that that these children tested well, well how did you how did you find these children that you decided you would let even test? Because that played a role too. Anyway, if you look at the keepers of the culture, and I, I've always said that you can't leave some people in the same place and ex- for 30 years and expect there to be a difference uh, made. And in this case, the keeper of the culture seems to, you know, in mathematical terms, would be called the common denominator, which is um, it. It shows the school, yes, always performing, uh, always a highly performing schools. But there's a lot of children out there in the city of Chicago that could have 
perform just as well had they been given the opportunity to test. Who decides who gets to test? There's a lot to that, and I, I won't go into all the details, but those are things that I don't think enough conversation is had about, and it speaks directly to the issue of measuring true diversity and inclusion. Is it just uh, part of the language, or is there some real effort at making sure that that becomes uh, a societal norm? But these are just some of my conversations with self. And again, you're speaking to or you're listening to Dr. Davida Francois with the Cora Moxie Show. And we're here on the Chicago Black Business Radio Network. You can visit us at any time at Chicago's Black Business Radio Network dot com, and feel free to make any uh, make any comments online, and we will get try to get back to you at our earliest convenience in responding. But going back to this this um, conversation that I've had with self a lot, and around this issue of diversity and inclusion. Another book that I looked at was uh, talking about business ethics. Well, business ethics, and again, um, I believe that business ethics are often formulated from the culture of a business environment. And regardless of what kind of policies and practices um, that are put into place, and no matter how well they may sound, we must always look, take a look at the culture. What has that culture been? We tend to miss that. We go online and we read, we read websites, and um, but we we need to do a little bit more research on how things have fared over the years in determining um, culture, whether it's in the school system, whether it's in the nonprofit sector, whether it's in the public sector, whether it's in the uh, private sector, uh, whatever. Those are looking at the culture is what matters and who are the keepers of the culture. And as I mentioned before, I am also um, an adjunct professor and a subject matter expert on gender, race, and culture in the public sector. So these things have become even that much more important to me. And so I don't always comment on what I am uh, observing, but trust me, things don't go unnoticed, especially as it relates to culture in both public sector and private sector and how uh, uh, diversity and inclusion is truly measured. Well, that is one of the the issues that uh, I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about because that's always part of my thought process how do we move things forward, forward uh, 
in terms of society. I belong to an organization called the uh, uh, Society on Symbolic Interactions, and and I believe that's it is triple S I Symbolic Symbol Society for Symbolic Interactions, and um, and even I remember attending a, a conference in New York, an international conference, and even though I, the conference was for the Society on Inter- the Society for Symbolic Interactions, I remember showing up. Um, this is the Grand Hyatt Hotel, and when I arrived there, the woman at the at the table uh, looked at me, and she thought I worked there. But no, I was there attending that very same conference. But of course, after I you know explained to her that I was a conference attendee, and I checked in and I um, um, got into you know began going to the workshops, I realized I was the only one who looked like me there, and I thought how ironic I'm attending a conference for the Society on Symbolic Interactions, and so what she saw in me was what she saw in me and she responded accordingly. Um, I, I couldn't possibly be attending the conference, right? Anyway, so moving forward, uh, again, you're listening to Dr. Davida Francois on Chicago's Black Business Radio Network with the Core Moxie Show. And you can listen to us at any time on Chicago, com. And feel free to leave um, any questions, comments, and we'll respond if need be. But in the meantime, again, I will move forward to just another uh, situation that uh, came about a couple of weeks ago. I wonder sometimes, again, this is my conversation with self, is the only answer when you don't agree with black people is the only answer to them is to call on the law on law enforcement because you know we talk about um was barbecue Becky and uh, different people that have, you know that have um that we've seen on the internet that's always called the law on black people for nothing <laughs> well. In attending this uh, uh, wonderful weekend event in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, a few weeks ago, it was just absolutely amazing. It was a it was in celebration of a well-respected uh, and prominent black businessman and philanthropist. Uh, notice I did say the word philanthropist because he, I mean he's he's had a, an amazing history of. of giving back to his community. And I pref- frankly, I prefer to call him an impact investor uh, because you can see his works. It's not a tax write-off. You can see um, the impact of his work. Um, anyway, uh, he, this uh, gentleman reached back and requested the attendance from people that he's known from his childhood all the way up until now. And uh, I attended this conference, I mean, this um, event, this weekend event, 
in let's see, the second week or the second weekend in in May, and it was just. I mean, there would had to be at least a thousand people there. Well, and this gentleman, he paid for everything, paid for everybody's hotel, food, everything. So on the Saturday evening of the event, here we are, all dressed up in formal attire. Most attendees had to be over sixty years old. Um, he was, he had been given an honorary doctorate's degree from, this, I believe, it's the University of Wisconsin. And so that on that particular evening, we were all dressed up. So we go to the um, we go in to have um, the uh, the dinner and you know celebrate and everything. But many of the tables had reserved signs sitting sitting on them. Probably half the tables in the room, and some didn't have reserved signs sitting on them, but they had the chairs turned over. So you've got all these people standing there in the um, in the middle of the floor, and so of course these things catch my eye because I used to be a certified meetings and events planner, where I planned these a lot of these sort of things for major corporations. So my thought was, okay, at some point, okay, it's six o'clock. The event started. It's six thirty now. It's going on seven, and those who were um, who were supposed to be uh, managing the event, you know, were running around, and, and young one young woman, um, well, there was one table that didn't have a sign on it, but some of the chairs were just kind of turned over. So we all began to sit down, sit down well, 10 of us, because I think there were 10, 10 chairs at the table. We sat down at the table, didn't have a sign on it, because we would, everybody was just standing in the middle of the floor. So... Um, we sat down, and and um, later the woman comes and she, she says to us, you have to get up and move. And we said, well, why are we moving? Well, because she says to us, well, because this table is reserved. We said, well, there's no reserved sign on this table. We just saw the chairs turned over. She said, well, it is reserved. So we said, well, you have to find us somewhere else to sit. We can't just stand in the middle of the floor. And you know, you, you're looking around and you're seeing all these people standing in the middle of the floor. Now, as an event planner, first of all, you figure out how to accommodate those who are already there. If the event started at 6 o'clock, here it is going on 7 o'clock, did you not say to those who you may have reserved t- uh, tables for that, if you're not there by say seven fifteen or seven twenty, then your you know your table will be released. There's ways that you accommodate them. She did not do that. Instead, the woman uh, decided that she was going to call security and have us all removed. And we could not believe that that was her response to us. And you know, of course, there were a few of us at the table. We challenged her. You are going to have those of us who have known this man all of his life removed because you did not do your job, you did not accommodate us. Now, and all along she's telling us that she's calling security to remove, have us removed. Her, I guess her superior was going around telling everybody, no, have a seat. If they're not here, have a seat. So there was a conflict right there in just their working relationship. 
Anyway, that for such a wonderful event, that bothered me. And and I, I will I do intend to write a letter to the to headquarters because that should have never happened. And I would give my last two dollars to say that if we were a people of any other hue, that she would have found a way to accommodate us rather than I'm going to call security to have you removed from the table. Can you imagine that? Anyway, you're listening to the Coral Moxie Show with Dr. Davida Francois on Chicago's Black Business Radio Network. You can visit us at Chicago's Black Business Radio Network.com at any time and leave a message, and we will respond at our earliest convenience. But I'm just talking about things that have me going home, spending a little time by myself just to have a conversation with self, or some may say just to reflect. And so I just talked a little bit about our situation in in, um, in Milwaukee a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, uh, is the only answer for black folks is to call the law on them, no matter what. Here we are, all dressed up, and, and everything is paid for. You're going to call the law, and we have not violated anything. And by the way, our table did not have a reserve sign on it. The other thing I want to talk about is having met a woman who um, I was at a diversity uh, workshop uh, about a year or so ago. And this is because I'm actually broadcasting from a hospital. Um, I'm here with a friend of mine. And I'm thinking about um, the woman that I met a few years, a couple of years ago, who looked very much like a white woman, and we were at a diversity workshop, and she, you know, she decided to just talk to me about her experience in having received basically a medical uh, death sentence. She had become gravely ill, and, um, and the doctor just happened to say to her, well, this medication always works for Caucasians. I don't know why it's not working for you. At this point, she said to the doctor, I'm not Caucasian, I'm Creole. And so because of that, since then, her doctor has changed how he practiced and just looking at a patient and thinking that they're one thing. Because if you saw her, there's no way that you would know, you would, you would think that she's anything other than a white woman. Uh, blue eyes, blonde hair, um, the, all the features. But she was, as she, as she put it, she was looking at a death sentence because he was treating her as a Caucasian woman with the wrong medication until she said, I am, uh, I'm not a white woman, I am Creole. Now, frankly, I don't know all the difference in that, but, um, but she shared that with me. And so I'm thinking about a friend of mine that was um, in the hospital who happens to be of black and Korean descent. And he was having some issues with his stomach. So he asked me to take a look at his medical records, and I did so. I looked at his um, medical records, and um, and they had um, marked that his ethnicity was he was African-American. He was a black man. Well, 
because I knew he he was of Korean descent, his mother was Korean, I looked at uh, some of the challenges or uh, issues that sometimes Koreans had. And his stomach uh, problem happened to be something that was very common with Korean children. And this is something that the doctor, of course, would not have looked at because they looked at him as simply a black man rather than looking into his um, his background and looking at where he was born or anything. So thinking about this and the importance of this also brings me back to some of the other things that the woman I'd met um, the Creole woman I had met and some of the things she told me about, which I care not to uh, discuss right now, but uh, things that need to be studied and how um, we should um, view things. But, again, these are some of my reflections and, and uh, or my conversations with self. And so you, again, are listening to Dr. Davida Francois, I am a community psychologist and also subject matter expert on gender, race, and culture in the public sector. So I'd like to have you all come back, and um, our next uh, show I'll probably probably have a a guest on. But I just wanted to share some of my conversations with self with you. We're here every other Monday at 11 a.m. and where we try to keep it Moxie 100. And we want to thank you for listening. And here we will be back and probably more than sharing uh, my conversations with self, I will have on with me a guest. And I'm not sure yet which guest that is. I've got so many people lined up. But, again, thank you so much for listening to the Core Moxie Show, where our conversations do matter. Chicago's Black Business Radio Network, all black, all news, all you.